Give us a faith worth dying for. Lord, that we would, we would die, be willing to die for you. Father, I thank you for your promise of eternal life. And I pray that you would stir our hearts with love for Jesus right now and a desire to follow him as we look at the letter of Philippians. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so this morning in Philippians, we are in chapter 3, the letter of Philippians, chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 17 to 21, and it's up behind me if you want to follow along. Um, But before we look at these verses, I want to start off by reflecting on something that I think is really important for us to understand if we're going to apply this passage to our lives. As human beings... Our minds and our lives are shaped, profoundly shaped, by the things that we fix our attention on, okay? In other words, a simple way of saying that is we become like what we watch. What you watch will shape you. It's not just Christians that point this out. Okay, a New York Times article from July 2019 says this. It's called, it's titled, You Are What You Watch. It says, other than sleeping and working, I'm quoting the article, Americans are more likely to watch television than engage in any other activity. A wave of new social science research shows that the the quality of shows, what we watch, can influence us in important ways shaping our thinking and our political preferences, even affecting our cognitive ability, our ability to think. Watching us, we are never um, just passive bystanders when we're watching things. They're, They're affecting, they're doing something to us when we watch whatever we watch. Reading can affect us too. But when you read a book, or you listen to somebody like me talking right now, it affects you differently than watching something, okay? When you read or when you listen to something, you're primarily engaging your mind's ability to follow or listen to a story or trace an argument. I did this and I did this because of this, all right? It's a slower process. And the ideas and the stories that you read, the ideas you hear and listen to, they're easier to sort through and assess for truth or for error before they begin to shape your life. So books reading is a slower process. <coughs> Images are different. Watching videos, movies, shows. They bypass the whole reasoning process. They go right past our ability to rationalize and they go right for your heart. Okay? Think about it this way. Who saw the pretty sunrise yesterday morning? Did any of you see it? It was beautiful. My mom sent us a picture of it from their house, and I was watching it at our house. It was kind of cool. All right? When you look at a sunrise, you don't need to stop and think that reddish hue in the sky is formed by the angle with which the sun is shining through the clouds. That is a pretty sight. No, you, you look at it, you're not like reasoning through, you're, you're like, wow, 
That's beautiful. It goes right for your heart because that's what beauty does. That's what images do. This world is filled with beauty. And it goes for your heart. You don't have to stop and think, wow, that's cool. It, it, it's amazing. It goes for your heart. In the same way, beauty in movies awakens longing in our hearts. I remember watching a movie, The Chariot, Chariots of Fire, for the first time. And after that movie, I just wanted to run because it's about a guy that runs. And, and I just, you know, I just imagined myself running down the beach like he, Eric Liddell was. Terror, scary things in movies awakens fear in our hearts. Tragedy in movies awakens sadness. Movies, shows, television, images, it cultivates our hearts to weep at whatever is pictured as sad, to rejoice at whatever is pictured in the movie as good, to long for whatever is pictured as worthy of longing for. Books can do that too. But the deadly danger we face, again, in this media age, is that the movies we watch, the television, the programming we see, the media, they jump past our minds and go right for our hearts. And they often go for our hearts with lies and half-truths. They paint marriage as undesirable and stale and sex sexual relations outside of marriage as far more desirable and far more fulfilling. Christians are often portrayed as stupid in movies. How many movies do you know where a pastor or a priest is portrayed as a godly man? Very few. There's a reason for that. That shapes how society views pastors in their hearts. In movies, good is often shown to be evil, and evil is painted as good from God's perspective. Okay. So what God views as evil is painted as good. The stories told make us smirk at evil and grow numb to the tragedy of death as we watch it over and over and over again on the silver screen. We could go on. Video games ramp this up to a whole nother level. Suddenly, you get to participate in a fantasy world with more than just your eyes. Your whole heart gets engaged in the story that you are living. But the story, is it shaping you for good or for evil? We have to ask that question. I'm not saying any of these things are wrong in and of themselves. My point is, like never before in human history, our loves are being shaped by what we watch. They're being shaped. This is an image-laden world. I have an image device here. I have an image device here. And I work five to six hours a day, sometimes, on an image device. We are surrounded by images. And in this image-laden world that's after your heart, the risen Lord Jesus commands us to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. He wants our minds to be transformed, our loves and longings to be shaped and molded to, into the humans that God created us to be. Now, as Christians, we can come to church and sit for an hour and a half and, and sing songs and listen to preaching and read the Bible and Christian books, and we can fill our heads 
with knowledge about God and things that he expects of us, okay? And that's really important. Knowing truth about God and his word is really important. How do we know what God expects of us if we don't read the Bible and listen to good teaching? How, how would we know how to follow him? But Christian discipleship, helping people learn to follow Jesus, which is what we all want to do, is learn how to follow Jesus better, it has to go deeper than lectures and sermons about the Christian life. And that's what the passage this morning is about. We must learn how to be Christians in this age of the image by watching other mature Christians. And as we watch what living for Jesus looks like, it starts to shape our loves and our longings. So in the age of the image, we live in the age of the image. Like never before in human history, we are drowning in images all around us. What do I mean by an image? Pictures, videos, clips, soundbites, they're everywhere. Advertising, it's all after your heart. And we are called to image God. We are called to be living, breathing images of what God calls us to be as humans. What life live for him looks like in every area of human existence. So, I'm going to read this passage now. Philippians 3, 17-21. Paul writes, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, for, here's his reason, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So here's the main idea of the passage. Simple. Watch mature Christians to learn how to be Christians. Watch mature Christians to learn how to be Christians. I'm going to work through the passage in three steps. First step, Paul says, watch our walk. That's verse 17. Why? Point two, because earthly-minded walkers are everywhere. And point three, we are citizens of heaven. So first, verse 17.1, watch our walk. Paul says they are joined together, verse 17, in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Two things Paul says here. First, Paul's telling the Philippian church, imitate him. Okay? Join in following my example. In another New Testament letter, the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm trying to follow Jesus, says Paul. Follow me, and you'll be following Jesus as I try to follow Jesus. But that, the second thing Paul says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
So in the context of this letter, that would be Epaphroditus and Timothy. We learned about those guys in chapter 2. They are examples of men who have the same mindset as the Lord Jesus, the mindset of a servant. Men who are controlled by their love for Jesus. But it also applies not just to Timothy and Epaphroditus. Keep your eyes on those who walk as we do. It applies to anyone in the church of Philippi who's a mature believer and who's following Jesus like Paul was following the Lord Jesus. So at this point, I just want to stop and make three applications. This is a very application-heavy sermon, okay? First, how do you learn how to be a Christian? Don't just read what Paul said, okay? In your mind's eye, watch his life. We can't watch a video of Paul's life. Um, We can't go back there. But watch his life as you read with your mind's eye. Use your imagination. He's in jail here in Philippians. He's writing this letter from prison. And he talks about joy constantly, all throughout the letter. In fact, the reason he's writing these things, he says, is for the joy of the Philippians. He wants them to be safe and happy in Jesus and not to have false teaching Rob them of their joy in the Lord. Watch his life. Remember his joy when hard things happen to you. His joy isn't in his circumstances, it's in the Lord, and that doesn't change. He's filled with so much love, he'd be willing to die for a Christian, for anyone. Paul would give his life that you might know the Lord. And he's not afraid to tell people hard things. Sometimes I can be really afraid to say hard things to people. I'm afraid they might reject me or be angry at me. Not the Apostle Paul. He's bold. Bold as a lion. <laughs> you read his letters to First and Second Corinthians. Why? Because he loves people. Love drives him to open his mouth. and He's humble. He regularly asks people for prayer. He's happy to admit he's weak. He needs help. Read Paul's prayers. They're amazing. We read one of them this morning at the table. He prays for the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 9 to 11. I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you might be able to discern what is best and might be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want to pray like that. And I can by praying Paul's prayer for you. And I do. Watch his life. Read his prayers. Pray them. He's an amazing example of following the Lord. A second application here is watch mature Christians in your mind's eye as you read about their lives in biographies. One great way to read a Christian biography or a story of a Christian who's gone before is to listen to it. I find it's easier to listen to a biography than to listen to a different type of book, like a a lecture book or something, because it's a story. It's a story about somebody's life. Ask me for suggestions if you want. I've got some biographies in the library. But as we learn about Christians who've lived for Jesus in the past, A, it gives us a sense of perspective. I mean, wow, 
if they went through that and stayed faithful to Jesus, it, it just inspires us to, to be faithful to the Lord in our own lives. But it also gives us ideas and wisdom about how to live faithfully in the challenges that we face. Another option would be watch movies about or documentaries about Christians that are serving Jesus around the world. My family has a whole stack of um, DVDs called Dispatches from the Front. And they're hour-long um, movies that follow missionaries who are working for Jesus at the ends of the earth. China, Sudan, Liberia. We'd be happy to loan them to you. Watch, learn what the people of God are doing, and let it capture your heart with, with a desire to serve Jesus in, in our area like they serve. Or maybe God will call some of you to the ends of the earth. I don't know. But the third and most simple application this morning from verse 17 is watch the lives of your pastors here and your church leaders. The writer to Hebrews in the New Testament says this, verse 7 of chapter 13. He says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So when I think about church leaders who've been following the Lord for a long time, there's men all around the country that have impacted me. But most directly, got Brother Carl Beckler here. Carl, have you been serving Jesus for 45 years now? You were 12, right? 45 years of following Jesus. Carl would be the first to tell you he's far from perfect. Okay. Karen would probably agree, right? You didn't marry a perfect man. But there's no doubt in my mind, from watching Carl for almost 30 years now, the man loves Jesus. He's the real deal. He's not a fake. He wears who he is on his sleeve. Okay? Carefully consider the outcome of his way of life. Imitate his faith. Follow his example as he tries to read his Bible faithfully and consistently. As he prays for other people. He prays for all of you. Almost every day, right? <laughs> or every day. <laughs> Carl prays for you. He loves you. He and Karen have been married what, 27 years? 26 years? 35. Oh, golly. I'm sorry, I'm just, what? Anyway, a long time, 35, all right? Watch how Carl treats his wife. Study their marriage. Fall in love with what faithfulness to a wife looks like for the long haul. See how he hates his ongoing struggle with anger, and he prays to, God's, to God for help with it. He'll ask you to pray for him, Okay? Learn from him about how to get angry at your own anger and at your own sin. Watch our dear friends, Brian and Angela, how they practice radical generosity with the things that God has given them. They do not love money. They do not live for possessions. They hold everything they own with open hands. They're very wise and careful with what God has entrusted into their care and very generous, okay? Um, 
Watch how they use their little tiny apartment home to bless the family of Jesus and to bring people in to be a part of their family and experience their love and a good meal. And finally, I want to offer you my own life to watch. You want to learn how to follow Jesus? Watch me. Paul told the young pastor Timothy, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love and faith and purity. And that is my calling as well as your pastor. Now, I, I, I'm pretty sure you all are very aware that I am far from perfect. Okay? Far from perfect. Neither was the Apostle Paul. We already saw that in Philippians 3. Remember what Paul said earlier in chapter 3. I haven't obtained perfection yet. I haven't been resurrected yet. Neither have I. <laughs> Ask Holly. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, in the words of Paul, I press on towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So I invite you, watch my life. Watch Holly. Watch the way we talk to each other, the way we discipline our children, the way we talk to our children. Watch how we view our stuff. Watch how we pray. Learn to pray with other Christians. We just offer you our lives. You want to know how to pray? Just come pray with us. Watch how we use our home. How we seek to love our church family. Not perfectly, but we, we really, truly do love the people of God. Follow us as we follow Jesus. That's the goal of community groups as a church. The goal of Bible studies. The goal of our discipleship times. Visiting and even just hanging out with each other. You can't really watch how Jesus is Lord of somebody's life for 1.5 hour snippet on a Sunday morning. That's just the beginning. And so in all that we do together as a church, I want you to be watching. Study the lives of your leaders. Imitate their faith. Imitate their repentance. And maybe even be a part of their repentance. If you see something that is in my life that you say, Joel, I don't think that lines up with the Bible. Talk to me about it. And then watch my response. That's part of watching. How do I respond? Do I get immediately defensive? Do I justify? Do I make excuses? I pray God I do not. Sometimes I might. And that's something that I will need to repent of again. But I offer you my life. I am not perfect. But watch me. I have nothing to hide. Now, the beauty of studying the lives of multiple Christians is you realize God isn't after cookie-cutter Christians. God is not after identical clones. He's not calling me to be Carl. Thank goodness. I could never keep my driveway that clean. Alright? <laughs> He's not calling you to be me. Alright? He's not calling you ladies to be Holly. No. Every Christian has different strengths and weaknesses, 
But the more mature Christians that you come to know, the more you'll learn about how to follow Jesus in your own unique circumstances. One final caution here. Be careful not to confuse personality with godliness or natural human ability with godliness. Here's what I mean. Some Christians are really passionate about everything in their life. They're just passionate people. Others are just meh, steady. They don't get real excited. They don't, you know, they're not preaching dynamic. They're just straightforward people. That doesn't mean that all Christians should be super passionate about everything. Some Christians are naturally very, very intelligent, okay? They have a high IQ. Others don't have quite as high of an IQ or intelligence. But God calls both to follow Jesus. And the goal of the highly intelligent Christian isn't to make all Christians have high intelligences like them. No. The goal is to help everybody follow Jesus. So, if you look at a Christian, you're like, wow, he's way smarter than me. You shouldn't think like, wow, I want to be smart like him. No, look at how he follows Jesus and say, I want to follow Jesus too. All right? So I hope that's helpful. Be very careful. Some people are just naturally really mellow, you know? That doesn't mean, and, and if they happen to be a Christian, that doesn't mean that being a Christian means you got to be mellow. You can be really excited about football or whatever Watch multiple Christians so you don't become a clone. But we've got to be very careful whose lives we watch. And Paul explains why in verses 18 to 19. Be careful who you watch, point two, because earthly-minded walkers are everywhere. Walking is Paul's way of talking about how you live. You live your life. I'm going to read verses 18 and 19. Paul writes, For as I often have often told you before, and now I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So, all these descriptions and these, this, those two verses of these people you don't want to watch, they fall under two headings. First, these people are consumed with the things of earth, and second, they're enemies of Jesus' cross. So first, Paul says they live as enemies of the cross, and he says it with tears. In Philippians, these are people who most likely claim to follow Jesus. They say they're Christians, but they actually make Paul cry when he thinks about them, and he thinks about their life. He's thinking about these people and says they say they're Christians, but they're enemies of the cross, and he starts to weep. Their mind is set on earth. Why? Because they are living far from the way of Jesus, the way of the cross, the way of self-denial, the way of servant-like living. They delight in doing the sins that Jesus died to pay for. They're enemies of his cross. With one hand, they say, I praise Jesus, and with other hand, they vote for what put him on the cross enemies no matter what they say even though they praise jesus with their lips they daily cast votes for the sins that put them on the cross and what's worse 
They brag about things that they should be ashamed of. You see that there? They glory in their shame. They boast about how consumed with earth they have, how much money they have, how much stuff they have, how much possessions. They're earthly-minded. Verse 19, their minds are set on earthly things. The cravings of their bellies control them so strongly they worship their bellies like they're a god. Oh, my belly wants food, I'll feed my belly. You know, they just follow their passions around. I think it's an expression for somebody who's just totally devoted to the desires of the flesh. They're ruled by fleshly passions, not by the lordship of King Jesus. And Paul says these people are everywhere. Many walk this way back then and today. Many who say they're Christians deny Jesus by the way they live their lives. Think of Christian leaders who make the news for all sorts of scandals. Think of Christians who are living contradictions, saying one thing and doing another unrepentantly. All of us can be a living contradiction from time to time. Sin is contradiction for the Christian. We're not to sin, but we do sin. That's a contradiction, right? And yet, what's the difference between somebody who is truly following Jesus and not? One person hides their sin. The other person confesses their sin continually. What's the difference? The Bible here is saying, let us not watch and be shaped by the lives of those who are these earthly-minded non-Christians who aren't following Jesus. So be careful who you watch. Don't watch people that would make Paul cry. Don't say, I want to be like them. I want to be popular like them or have all the things that those Christians have. Listen, God knows the heart. Watching compromising Christians and hanging out with compromising Christians will lead you into apathy and hypocrisy. We must not do that. And Paul gives a second reason why in verses 20 and 21. Because we are citizens of heaven. That's the second, third point. We're citizens of heaven. Paul writes, for our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So friends, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, if you really, really trust Jesus, that means you're a citizen of his kingdom, of heaven, your life then, is to be lived under his reign, his control. Our mindset should be shaped by his priorities, by his plans for our life. Our dream for our life should be in line with his dream for our life. We don't place all our hopes and dreams in this life. We look for the life to come as the anchor for our hope. Christians live like the resurrection is real. Not just Jesus' resurrection, our own resurrection. Live today 
Like, everything you own, you can't keep. And everything that you're headed for will last forever. Live with all your hope in the future. The coming of our Savior Jesus, who will transform your body, your earthly body that is falling apart, no matter how strong you might feel. He will transform it to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Jesus will bring our sinful, restless hearts that are drifting constantly from him under his control completely one day when we will be perfect. That's also part of our hope. Paul says that back in Philippians 3 earlier. He's pressing on towards the perfection of resurrection, but he hasn't attained it yet. But man, he's looking forward to it. To the day where we'll never sin again. Where we'll be completely free from all evil and selfishness and pride. And we will love God as we were made to love him. That's where we're headed. Now, as we conclude, I just want to take a slightly different angle on the passage as we conclude. Um, I've been talking to you guys about watching mature Christians um, to learn how to follow Jesus. And now, I just want you to think about your life if you claim to follow Jesus. Every area of it. What you do when you're alone, when nobody sees. And I want you to ask yourself, is there any area of your life that hasn't tasted the goodness of Jesus' rule yet? Your life at work, your life at home, your life at play. Are you living a life that people could watch and learn the way of Jesus from? Is Jesus really your king? And if you're not sure right now where the allegiance of your heart really lies, when you really honestly ask, is Jesus Lord of my life? Jesus says something very simple to you. He says, Mark 1.15, repent and believe the good news. Turn and trust. Turn from sin, from denying his lordship, and give your whole life to him. Well, I've been a Christian for a lot of years. Guess what? True Christians do this every day. <laughs> they turn and they trust. They turn and they trust. Because every day we have to choose to follow Jesus. It's a daily choice. To bow to the lordship of our king. Jesus' arms are open wide. He will not turn you away. And so bow your heart to the Lord Jesus. Bow every area of your life to King Jesus. Your possessions, your money, your time, your sexuality, your speech, your hands, your feet, your smartphone, and what you do with it in private when no one is watching. Bring it all under his lordship. Bring it all to the foot of his throne. If Jesus is not Lord of all in your life, then he is not Lord at all. I'll say that again. 
because it's very serious. If Jesus is not Lord of all, ah, he could be king over this, but not this. Then he's not Lord at all. Jesus demands complete allegiance, and he promises life eternal. And every day, we have to choose this day who we will serve. Don't look back. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Don't look back at your past success. Well, I, I, I look back and I was following Jesus then, but you know now I'm not. No, don't look back. Don't coast on past spiritual highs. Well, you know, some Christians have a great experience at like a Christian camp in their life, and they just always go back there. Like, I felt close to Jesus back then, so it must be real. No, choose today. Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Don't look back at your past failures. Maybe it was yesterday. You did something that showed Jesus is not your Lord of that area yet in your life. Bring it to his Lordship now. Every day he offers you his mercy. That's the goodness of the gospel. If you could not tell someone, you want to know how to follow Jesus, watch me. Watch me sin and repent. Watch me ask for forgiveness. Watch me love my neighbor even when it's really hard. Watch me hold my tongue when I really want to yell at somebody because I'm trusting God to work in their heart and I can't control how they're acting right now with my words, no matter how loud I yell. If you can't say, watch me, something's wrong. Ask Jesus to help you. Turn to him. This watch me stuff isn't just for pastors. It's not. It's for every mature believer. Jesus didn't save us so that we could be spiritual babies for the rest of our life. We talked about this a little last week. You know, sometimes I think we want to be never, never land Christianity. Always, always a kid. Peter Pan Christians. No. The author of Hebrews is all about this growing up stuff. He says, by now some of you should be teachers. But you still need milk. You still need a bottle. Sometimes I think I still need milk. Carl's nodding his head. After 45 years, really, Carl? I've been following Jesus now for 22 years. And I see my sin more now than I've ever seen it. And I want Jesus more than I've ever wanted him. I want him to be Lord. And I want that for you. He's a good king. I promise. Following him is always worth it. Obedience always will be worth it in the end. You have my word, but far more importantly, you have his word. So, in 2020, just want to challenge you. Watch mature Christians. Again, we're not perfect. But to watch us, you got to be around us. Don't just listen to what we say. Watch our lives. Study our lives. And ask yourself, what would it look like if I love Jesus similar to that? Overlook their personality quirks that have nothing to do with godliness. 
I know Carl has personality quirks. I don't have any personality quirks at all. <laughs> Show grace. People are hard to love. And the longer you walk with people, the more you find that out, right? Amen. <laughs> Gary gives a... <laughs> Sorry, Gary, what I do to you? <laughs> no, I'm just But look past all the quirks and look at their heart. They want to follow the Lord. Second, resolve in your heart to follow Jesus with all your life. To live a life that lets your light shine before men so that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And get around people. Get around people who need to know about Jesus and let them see your life. Don't hide. Give them a life they can watch. Because when we watch a life on fire by Jesus, set on fire with love for Jesus, it goes past our brain somehow. And it goes into our hearts and we say, I want that. I want that. I want to love Jesus the way they love Jesus. It's real. And I want it for me. I've been so blessed. That's why I went to Bethlehem College and Seminary. I'll just close with this. I said, if there's anyone in the Christian world that I want to be like or learn from, who would it be? And John Piper had impacted me a lot in my life. And I said, I want to study under him. So I applied, and God made it possible for me to go to seminary. And John Piper, some of you may know, he's a speaker, Christian author. Um, and... Uh, Sometimes these people, the closer you get to these popular figures, the more they're like, whoa, they're just putting on a show. But the closer I got to his life, the more I realized this man is the real deal. He loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. He could be a millionaire if he wanted. He lives in a little purple house on the corner by the bus stop. Homeless people live in his backyard. Okay? Literally, he could be a millionaire. He sold hundreds of thousands of books. He writes all, wrote it all away. Lives in a little purple house. Goes all over the world telling people about Jesus now. All right. And one of his fellow pastors who impacted me a tremendous amount, Brian could say this too, Tom Steller, gentle, humble man, served at that church for 40 years. Okay. I just got an email in my inbox. Tom's asking for support. You know what Tom's going to do with his retirement, he and his wife Julie? They're 65, okay? 40 years of serving Jesus. They got grandkids in Minneapolis. I know them. Nate, Stellar, some of my friends, okay? They're going to Africa to die there for Jesus, okay? They're going to teach the Bible to pastors in Cameroon, and they're raising support. At 65, what do you dream for in retirement? I don't know. I just want to be serving Jesus, whether I'm in Africa or not. That just, those stories inspire me. To say goodbye to your kids, say, go to Africa. Man, I love that. And so my final challenge is to watch, read about Christians like that doesn't mean you have to go to Africa. You can serve Jesus here. Open in your home to Bible study, you know? Um, praying for people, praying with people, telling people about the Lord. I mean, we could go on and on.
God, just want to close now by praying for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this new year. And I pray that this new year would be a, a year of, of rededication to you and to your lordship. Lord, you are the king, and we bow our hearts to you. And we want to follow you with our everything, because you gave your life for us. And I pray, Father, that you would set our hearts on fire with love for the risen Christ, that you would stir us up with a desire to follow you, that you would help us to watch Christians who are truly following the Lord and to look past the quirks that might bother us and to see hearts that are striving for the faithfulness to Christ. Help us, Father, please. Help me. Help me to be a good example. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.